We've spent, as an industry, we've spent decades focused on diversifying the participatory side of the game. But we need to add to our focus the workforce side of the game and start to diversify that. Because under the idea of if you can see it, you can be it, we need young women and young people of color to see others working in the game and working in the business if they are going to consider it as a career path. If you can't see anyone that looks like you having a successful career in this industry, it's unlikely that you're going to aspire to take up a career in the business of golf. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Sandy Cross, who is the PGA of America's Senior Director of Diversity and Inclusion. I met Sandy at the PGA show in Orlando, where I had the pleasure of sitting in on her diversity and inclusion talk, and I was drawn in by her sincere passion to make golf more welcoming for everyone. Sandy, thanks so much for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you, Colin. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you inviting me on. It is my sincere pleasure to have you on here, Sandy. So let's get started for our listeners here. Let's learn a bit about yourself and your personal golf history and and your connection with the game. I'd love to share that. I am a native of a suburb of Buffalo, New York called Hamburg, and I grew up as a multi-sport athlete. I participated in basketball, track and field, and volleyball, and was fortunate to play Division I volleyball at the University of Buffalo for four years of my undergraduate. But surprisingly, I was not exposed to golf at a young age. It was not something that I had access to. Again, played many other sports, but was not introduced to golf till later. Following my undergraduate and pre-law at the University of Buffalo, I went on to Kent State University in Ohio and got my master's in sport administration and then proceeded to South Florida. I had a small short-term opportunity at the United States Water Fitness Association for about a year and then found myself in a 90-day temporary assignment at the PJ of America as the licensing administrator. And little did I know at that time that that 90-day temp gig, if you will, would grow into an unbelievable career. 20 plus years now at the association. And I've had an unbelievable opportunity to not only learn the game and the business of golf, but to move through the organization in a variety of different capacities, ranging from marketing to business development to player development, women's initiatives, and now my current role in diversity and inclusion. So it's been a wonderful journey and really a surprising one, again, without having access to the sport at an early age. It's very fortunate that I found myself where I am today. I love the journey there that you've shared with us already there, Sandy. It is not a straight line, and I think that makes life much more interesting. I know with myself, I started off as an architect and in the sport architecture realm, and and here I am in the golf industry now. I'm very proud to be participating in this, especially with the diversity and inclusion initiative that is out there, and that's really what we want to talk about here today. So with that, can you share with us a, a quick overview with your work with the PGA of America as the Senior Director for Diversity and Inclusion? What was your personal motivation and inspiration for taking this on? It's interesting, Colin, because as I mentioned, I had an opportunity in our player development department, which was specific to 
shaping and deploying our connecting with her strategic initiative on behalf of the golf industry. And that was an outgrowth of a study that we commissioned with the Boston Consulting Group. And one of the biggest findings of that study, Boston Consulting Group indicated that there were approximately 38 million women in America who were interested in participating in golf, but either were too intimidated to participate or simply had never been invited to participate. We embarked on this connecting with her strategic initiative, and I had an opportunity to be on the front lines of that. And as I went about that effort and shaping that effort over two to three years, it really opened my eyes to all of the dimensions of difference beyond gender. And that's when I went to our leadership. Our CEO, Pete Babakwa, was new at the time around 2014. And I said to Pete and our chief operating officer, Daryl Crawl, that I would love to spearhead a diversity and inclusion initiative broadly for the PGA of America beyond gender. And the timing was perfect because our leadership had just positioned diversity and inclusion as a foundational principle in our long-term strategic plan. So I was given the green light and we have taken an approach, a comprehensive approach where we are embedding diversity and inclusion across all of our lines of business. While we have a dedicated department, we really work on a daily basis to partner with our colleagues across all the different departments to help them look at their line of the business through a lens of inclusion. That could be championships, procurement, education, employment, player development. You can go on and on down the department business line list, and I could share with you how we're working to advance diversity and inclusion, and again, make sure that it's embedded in the fabric of the association, because it's not a program, it's not a PR play. It's really an operating philosophy and a way that we conduct our business. I find this interesting. I'm finishing reading a book right now called The Startup Way by Eric Ries, who's also done The Lean Startup. And he talks about cultural transformations, that innovation and experimentation within existing cultures as big as GE, so companies that large. And one of the things they talk about, Sandy, is the cultural transformation and not working in silos and creating these cross-functional teams. So yes, it's not just someone working in the corner on something that no one else really accepts or even understands, but it does come from the top down as a cultural transformation. It sounds, from what you just told me there, That's what is going on at the PGA of America. Is that fair to say? It really is, Colin, and and thank you for sharing that book. It sounds like a great read. It has been and continues to be a cultural transformation. And I will say one of the most important things we have done and will continue to do to set that transformation up for success is around education and training. We recognized early on in this effort that the real understanding of diversity and inclusion, what those two words mean, and the business case behind diversity and behind inclusion, what the business case is, we recognize that the understanding of that was very, very low. So we have spent a significant amount of time and will continue educating our PGA members, our staff, our board of directors, and our PGA section leaders across the country on the fundamentals of diversity and inclusion, making sure that there's a real understanding of the dimensions of difference, the difference between diversity and inclusion. 
unconscious bias, how that can play into decision making. And it's been a very important component of the transformation. I find this very interesting what you just mentioned there. I was moderating for two days with the PGA of British Columbia, I'm in Vancouver here, as part of their educational seminar series. And I was talking about the fine work that you're doing along with Dr. Michael Cooper, Alyssa Gaudet, Clemmy Perry, Chris Hart. And one gentleman put up his hand and he asked me, what is diversity and inclusion? As simple as that. I was kind of taken aback that at that level, not even that fundamental understanding or even even heard the term before. It sounds like you're in some cases starting with that too, all, all across the spectrum of people that, that are already getting it and some people that it's the same attitude as 20, 30 years ago, it seems. Absolutely. And we share some simple but powerful analogies. For example, diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. Another one that we like from John Skipper, the former president of ESPN, is diversity is about who's on the team. Inclusion is who gets to play. And then we go deeper into explaining that diversity is all the attributes that make us unique as individuals. And then the inclusion harnesses the power of those differences and creates a very powerful environment. And it's interesting, Colin, because organizations can absolutely be diverse without being inclusive. And I believe, and many people believe, that if you lead inclusively, if your organization leads inclusively, the diversity will naturally follow. But two very distinct concepts, but in an optimal setting, they operate hand in glove. Yes, I love both those quotes. I did take pictures of both of those slides that you had up there, and I was going to mention those. I'm glad you beat me to the punch there. And that really lends itself to the overarching vision of what you have and this concept of the power of invitation with this. Can you elaborate a little bit more in in actionable ways that our listeners here can embrace that power of invitation? Absolutely. And if you think about the sport of golf and the business of golf, it is a sport of invitation. Most everyone who participates in the game and oftentimes participates in the business was invited out by someone else that very first time. It's unusual for an individual to take up the sport of golf on their own. So that initial invitation from someone else is very powerful. And what's happened over the years, Colin, and it's because it's human nature to invite others, to invite sameness to an activity, to an event, to a business. What's happened over the years in in the golf industry is we've created this self-reinforcing vortex of sameness. The majority in golf invites sameness into the game and into the business. And unless the individuals who are currently playing the game or working in the business start to invite in difference, individuals from diverse backgrounds and business suppliers from diverse backgrounds, unless we start to invite them into the game and the business, the sameness is not going to be disrupted. So those invitations are tremendously powerful, particularly to evolving the workforce in the game. And we've spent, as an industry, we've spent decades focused on diversifying the participatory side of the game. But we need to add to our focus the workforce side of the game and start to diversify that. Because under the idea of if you can see it, you can be it, 
we need young women and young people of color to see others working in the game and working in the business if they are going to consider it as a career path. If you can't see anyone that looks like you having a successful career in this industry, it's unlikely that you're going to aspire to take up a career in the business of golf. And it's a fabulous industry. As you know, it's a $70 billion a year business in the United States alone, and that the career opportunities are many and varied. As I mentioned earlier, I would have never thought about a career in golf. I was not exposed to it. But those invitations are very powerful. And being able to see others that look like you playing the game and working in the business are critical if we're going to evolve the composition of the game. And it seems like to me, that's the real opportunity is that $70 billion a year industry there as far as diversifying the workforce. Yes, it's great and it's important to grow the game at the recreational level, at the pro level, at the fan and the audience and the viewership, but absolutely that workforce opportunity and that career opportunity is, is massive and that's just waiting to be unleashed. And on that note, I'd love to hear, and we talked to uh, Dr. Michael Cooper with the Golf 2020 Diversity Task Force a couple of weeks ago about this. We'd like to hear what the initiative are. I know you have in 2014, the PGM America has the long-term strategic plan for this, but what actionable initiatives have you created that are starting to make a real impact? I'd love to share some of those. Beyond what I spoke about in terms of education and training for our members and our staff and our board, there's three other areas that we're really going deep in. One is that workforce diversification component and some examples that we're really getting traction with in that area include our PGA Works fellowships. So those fellowships are for postgraduates. They are full-time paid entry-level employment opportunities in our PGA section offices around the country, and they're fully funded by our foundation, which is called PGA Reach. And those postgraduates from diverse backgrounds have a unique opportunity for 12 months to work in those PGA section offices and get a full immersion into the golf industry and the business of golf. And then hopefully be inspired to pursue a career within the business beyond that. We also recently launched our PGA Works Golf Management University Scholarship Program. You may know that we have a relationship with 18 universities across America. They're accredited by us to deliver our professional golf management curriculum. And we have some new scholarship opportunities for women and individuals from diverse backgrounds to be scholarshiped in to those programs and pursue that four and a half year degree and become fully accredited as PGA professionals. Those are successful. We also continue in the workforce diversification arena to put a lot of focus on our PJ Minority Collegiate Championship and the career expo that takes place during the championship. And that brings together about 180 to 200 student athletes from historically black colleges and universities, as well as other minority serving institutions to compete in a championship but also have an opportunity during the week to meet one-on-one -on -one with some anchor employers in the golf industry, equipment manufacturers, management companies, allied associations. They're all there at the Career Expo and, and the student athletes have an opportunity to make connections, garner internship opportunities and entry-level employment opportunities. So we plan to continue to double down on that in the workforce diversification area. 
Sandy, I'm so glad you mentioned both PGA Reach and PGA Works. They contacted me a couple of weeks ago, and I will have them on the Mod Golf podcast in about a month or so. So I'm really looking forward to that. And we're going to arrange this in a way it's not just going to be at the leadership level that's going to be having that conversation with me, but I also ask to have one of your scholarship recipients, one of your interns, to also be on the program so we can start to hear some success stories on the ground, to hear from them, not just at the leadership level. That's excellent. I think that'll be really powerful. A couple other things I'd like to share, Colin, within workforce diversification. You may have heard at the PGA show, we announced a new partnership with Jopwell, J-O-P-W-E-L-L, Jopwell. And they are a career advancement platform. They're about three years old, based in New York City. Career advancement platform for Black, Latinx, and Native American students and professionals. So through that alliance, we now have a vehicle by which we can actively recruit not only for key positions at the PJ of America, but also for the PJ Works Fellowship. So we're really excited about that partnership. And then two other areas of focus, and, and we can go light or deep on these depending on your lead, Colin. Supplier inclusion is critically important, as well as community engagement. Those are our two other key areas of focus in diversity and inclusion. And supplier inclusion, that's making sure that in this $70 billion a year golf industry that we talked about, we want to make sure that we're engaging minority-owned, women-owned, LGBT-owned, and veteran-disabled-owned suppliers in the procurement process. So when we're bidding out opportunities where we're procuring goods and services, for example, for our championships, we want to make sure that we're including those diverse-owned businesses in that bid opportunity process. And we believe that when those diverse-owned businesses start to benefit from the economics of golf, from golf's economy, that their interest in participating in the game will grow. I love this. The fact that you are you are walking the walk on this one here. You're not just talking it. And I, that is fantastic. I want to switch gears a little bit here to some of the other things you mentioned at the PGA show. You referred to the importance of inclusive leadership. Could you please explain to our listeners what this means to the PGA of America and why it's such a critical piece to ensuring meaningful and sustainable corporate cultural transformation? Sure. With the inclusive leadership, Colin, and, and you touched on it, it's walking the walk and not just talking the talk. It's everything from extending those powerful invitations to making sure individuals have a seat at the table and a voice at the table and going beyond just one. There's one woman at the table or one person of color at the table. It's inviting a point of view from someone you don't normally invite a point of view from. It's sharing your point of view with someone you don't normally share your point of view with. When you're hiring, for example, it's making sure that you're not looking for a cultural fit. You're looking for a cultural add. Who would be additive to your team? It's things like that that embody inclusive leadership, being an authentic listener, sharing your voice, allowing others to have a voice. And it, it requires slowing down. Everyone's moving a mile a minute in this digital age, and we're very much heads down, attached to our mobile devices. But we really have to slow down and look up and listen and engage others in an authentic, welcoming, and an inclusive way. 
And I do not want to get political on the Mod Golf podcast here, but right now within our society, unfortunately, it's more divisive than inclusive as far as the conversation and the respect. And the fact that the PGA of America is actually just taking that stance, taking the high road and saying, you know what, this is the way it needs to be. And this is what we support. And this is what we're passionate about. I commend you for the work that you're doing there. It's, it is great. Now, with that, I, I wanted to get back to something we were talking about earlier, just as far as the culture within the PG of America and this idea of not working in silos and working cross-functionally. Taking that to a bigger level, a national level, as you very well know, there are some amazing yet fragmented people and organizations floating around the golf diversity and inclusion ecosystem who are doing extraordinary work from what Steve Mona is doing with the World Golf Foundation, as I mentioned with Dr. Michael Cooper, Elisa Godet with Women's Golf Day, and a few others that I've failed to mention here. I want to ask you how the PG of America can help to be not only the connective tissue that brings them all together, but also how you avoid duplicating some of the impactful initiatives that are already in place. That's a great question, Colin. And the allied golf associations in the industry, ourselves included, but also the PGA Tour, the USGA, the LPGA, national golf course owners, club managers, superintendents, etc. In recent years, under those associations' leaderships, we've really come together and intentionally aligned around some signature programs that have been demonstrated to work. And we've committed across our organizations to really put our proverbial eggs in those baskets. And those programs include Get Golf Ready, PGA Junior League Golf, LPGA USGA Girls Golf, The First Tee, Drive Chip and Putt, and most recently, Carry the Game, which is dedicated to bringing caddies back to the golf industry. And what we'd like to do and are striving to do with the many community-based organizations that you alluded to that exist around America and are doing amazing work in local communities, particularly in diverse communities and underserved communities, we want to be bridging the individuals in those programs, actively bridging them into the programs that I just mentioned the programs that the allied associations have aligned around and have continued to put funding and human resources and marketing support behind. So through the collaboration in the Golf 2020 Diversity Task Force, we want to, again, bridge the individuals from the community-based programs into the national programs and make sure that they're having, again, that warm, welcoming experience and that they become lifelong golfers. And also, for those who are interested, they enter into the business of the game and career opportunities in the game. And Dr. Michael Cooper talks a lot about being a linking agent, the power of the task force to be a linking agent between those allied association programs and the community-based programs. So that's really at the heart of a lot of the work that we're doing collaboratively within the task force. Understood. So so I understand here with the PG of America, do you actually help promote those other programs? Let's give an example of Women's Golf Day. That's going to be on June 5th this year for the third year. Do you actually provide financial support or promotional support or a combination thereof? Just so I can get a feel of how you can actually engage in an actionable way with something as fantastic as that movement that is happening. Absolutely. So with Women's Golf Day, we are a communication vehicle to our 29,000 PJ professionals around the country. So we work with Elisa 
She provides us the marketing communication messages that we then ensure get out to our PGA professionals through our communication channels. And then we hopefully motivate, inspire, and encourage our PGA professionals to host Women's Golf Day activities and programs in June on that date at their respective golf facilities. Because that's really, as you know, where the rubber meets the road. The point of play, if you will, are the 10,000 golf facilities around America that employ PGA professionals. So we believe our greatest value in Women's Golf Day, as one example, is to be that powerful communications messaging vehicle to our PGA professionals. It's interesting. One of the things I was speaking about at this PGA of British Columbia conference the other day was about culture and about the power of why. I don't know if you're familiar with Simon Sedek and his YouTube video that was part of a TEDx talk with the power of why. It's not what you do, it's why you do it. And that was presented by someone else there, actually Dr. Christopher Kane out of UNLV. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Kane, yes. Christopher, the work that he does. He was actually speaking there. So after he spoke, because I'm very familiar with Simon Sedek's work, I took that to the next level with people there and gave them an example and talked about Elisa and what she's done there and said, what you have with Women's Golf Day in its third year, the way she's managed to scale that up and what her why is to grow the game and make it more friendly and knock down those barriers for women to play golf and get them involved. Yes. The fact that she had it in over 40 countries last year in over 700 locations and almost 30,000 women playing with one employee, their social media manager, one employee, everybody else is volunteering. So everybody else is doing this because they've aligned themselves culturally with what her why is and what the why and what the movement is all about there with Women's Golf Day. And they were just stunned, the fact that people could actually accomplish this. And that is the power. That's also her, and she's an amazing woman. And that is the power of what a movement can do when people rally behind that why. So I see you have all these fantastic opportunities of a full spectrum of whys there to engage many different groups. We already touched on with the African-American community. I'd be interested to hear as far as what type of traction you're getting within the Hispanic community. It's a huge opportunity there. And also with the LGBTQ communities. I'd like to hear if there's any traction there so far within community community building and community members in certain locations with those two particular groups. Absolutely. In terms of the Hispanic community, we're having some particular success geographically, if you will. As you may know, there are some states now where the former minority is now the majority. So as we think about some regions of the country, particularly our Southern California section, northern and southern Texas, for example, and working directly with the Latina Golfers Association, also an organization called MANA. We've been able to impact some young women and girls in the Hispanic community and look to continue to do that through programs like Get Golf Ready and our local PGA professionals in those communities. And then you also mentioned the LGBT community. Some of our biggest success there has come in the supplier inclusion space. So we are a corporate member of the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce, as well as the Charlotte LGBT Chamber of Commerce. And we started that relationship in advance of last year's PGA Championship, but we are continuing it. And we've had a lot of success introducing LGBT-owned suppliers to our prime suppliers, particularly, as I mentioned before, around our championships, in making sure that they're having an opportunity to bid and win some of that business around the championships. And again, as they start to benefit from the economics of golf, their interest in participating in the game as a player definitely begins to blossom. 
So those are two things that we're particularly excited about with the Hispanic community as well as the LGBT community. And obviously those communities, Colin, and all the communities that we're talking about are intersectional. We very often talk about, okay, we're doing this for women, and we're doing this for the Black community, and we're doing that for the LGBT community. But we have to remember that every single one of us is multidimensional. Those categories that we just talked about, they intersect, and individuals are comprised of many of those. I just share that because we need to exercise some caution, really broaden our lens, and make sure that we're not overly marketing or communicating down a singular dimension and to the detriment of other dimensions. Now, I meant to mention this earlier as a call to action. I know we're almost more than 30 minutes in here, but I'm going to say it now rather than save it for the very end. My call to action to all my listeners here, our mod golfers, is the power of invitation we spoke about earlier. Please, next time you play golf, first time out this year, make a point of inviting someone else out that you normally wouldn't play with and someone that is more diverse and better words, someone that doesn't necessarily look like you and be gracious and be open and, and invite them to actually play a round of golf and go out of your way to actually do that. And I actually did the same thing with 160 attendees at the seminar the other day to spread that word also. Be more open, be more open-minded and invite people and do it and do it often. So there's my pitch, my call to action on your behalf there with the initiatives you're taking there, Sandy. Thank you, Colin. I appreciate you reinforcing that. Oh, my pleasure. So when we finish up here, Sandy, I just want to ask you this. Let's look into the future a little bit. And this could be doing all the, the fine work that you're doing here over the next 5, 10, 20 years. What are your thoughts here across the spectrum of recreational participation, professional golf, the fan experience, and especially as you touched on here, as far as the workforce opportunities within the $70 billion a year industry? Where do you see or would like to see golf be in a decade or two from now? Well, I'm really excited about the prospects of what the game and the business can look like and what I believe it will look like in, as you described, 5, 10, 20 years from now. But it is absolutely going to take consistent collaborative effort across the industry. We have to keep our foot on the gas at all times and continue to move forward together with intention and make sure we're focused on the invitation, inviting others in, inviting the point of view, looking for the cultural ad, casting that wider net for procurement opportunities. So many of the things that we touched on today, we have to continue to commit to those and do those regularly. And if we're all rowing in that same direction, I'm very confident and encouraged about the prospects for a game and a business that really is reflective of the composition of what America looks like, what America's new consumer looks like today. Well, thank you for sharing that. Steve Mona, when he was on the Mod Golf podcast, he said something very similar. His goal is to make golf look like America looks. And it sounds like that's exactly the mandate that you have also. And as Dr. Cooper said last week or a couple of weeks ago, he says golf needs to giddy up. It's 35 years behind. <laughs> so he was very passionate and adamant about this. It's like, I shouldn't even, even be having this conversation anymore. This should be done. But the fine work that you're doing and others are doing, I'm thankful for it. I know the golf industry is thankful for it. A lot of them may not know it yet, but they will be thanking you very soon. Some of them a little bit later than others. But the work that you're just getting started on here is vital, 
vital to the success and the evolution and the transformation of the great game that we love here. So Sandy Cross, thank you so much for being here with me today. Before you do leave here, Sandy, could you please tell all of our listeners where they can find some information about the fine work that you're doing? A great starting point, Colin, is pgareach.org. You can learn about some of our signature diversity engagement programs on that website, including PGA Junior League, PGA Hope for our veterans, and the PGA Works initiatives that I spoke about earlier. So that's a great starting point. Sandy Cross, Senior Director of Diversity and Inclusion for the PGA of America. You have inspired me today. You inspired me when I had the chance to hear you speak at the PGA show. And I hope, actually, I know this will inspire some of our listeners here to take action and to now not only understand what diversity and inclusion is, but also to realize this is one of the cornerstones of growing this game. And just before I leave you here, I found it very interesting in the Mod Golf podcast. I've been doing this for less than a year. And when I started this, Sandy, looking at the future of golf and the people that I knew in the industry and the influencers were really technology-based and entertainment experience-based. And then once I started having these conversations with community builders like yourself, Steve Mona, and everybody in between, I've really found that theme is the one that's resonated, that I really see that as being the really true growth generator for this great game. The other ones are fantastic, and we need those to enable also. But without the work that you're doing, I believe golf will be left behind. And I'm very, very happy to see the traction and the conversations that are happening and the fine work you're doing. So, Sandy, thank you again very much for doing all the work you're doing and for being a guest today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you, Colin. And I really appreciate the opportunity that you provided today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of the Mod Golf Podcast with PGA of America Senior Director for Diversity and Inclusion, Sandy Cross. To learn more about the groundbreaking work Sandy and the PGA of America are doing to grow the game, go to our episode show page at www.mod.golf for links to websites, social media feeds, images, and video content. Join me again next week for my conversation with Alex Myers, who is a senior writer with Golf Digest and The Loop, along with hosting their weekly video series, The Grind. The Grind is one of the anchor columns and of the loop, but it certainly paved the way, at least for me, to get into writing about things that aren't just strictly serious golf. Now I can just write something, not worry about the golf angle, because the loop is not golf specific, but what golfers would talk about throughout a round. We focus on sports, pop culture, TV, movies, viral videos that are going around, just things that people are talking about. So that gives us a real wide variety to write about and discuss. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast, you can find more engaging stories about the future of golf on our episodes page. You can also listen to all of our previous Mod Golf Podcast episodes on iTunes. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Have a great week, and I look forward to you joining us again soon. Bye for now.